was lost, the treaty signed, I was not caught, I crossed the line, I was not caught, though many tried, I live among you, well disguised, I had to leave my life behind, I dug some graves you'll never find, the story's told with facts and lies. And welcome back to this Legion Quickie Podcast. Yeah, we are continuing our look at True Detective Season 2. This episode of our Legion Quickie will cover episode number 5, known as Other Lives. I am Duncan McLeish from Duncan and Bo Come Correct, and I'm joined by my co-host, whose name was also in the title of that podcast, Mr. Bo Ransdell. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing well, although I think we are weakly stretching the limits of what can reasonably called, be called a quickie. Yeah, yeah. I think um, every show now is getting longer, isn't it, really? Yeah, but this has been my prediction early on, is that each episode we're going to have more information and thus more dots to connect, more to talk about, and, you know, Paul do something. That's, like, that is my... <laughs> I've got the bumper sticker, I've got a t-shirt, I've got, I've got my wristband that is uh, WW... P D A, which is why won't Paul do anything? <laughs> oh dear, poor Paul. And, and then, oh poor Paul, poor yeah. Viewers. But but yeah, all right, but I, I am yeah. I'm not gonna say anything. Yeah yeah yeah. I mean we're gonna discuss uh, Paul in greater detail because there's actually stuff that happened with Paul and finally. Yeah, and there and actually one of my favorite scenes from the episode involves Paul, which is God. Yeah, no, I had to I honestly I punched my cat when it happened. I was like, This <laughs> seems wrong and I've gotta share the pain. And that poor dumb animal had no idea what hit her. <laughs> oh, right, so so yeah, this episode was called Other Lives. It was directed by John Crawley. Um, and once again, written by Nick Pizzolatto. Um, right, so for those that may remember, last week, on, on last week's episode um, of the podcast, not the actual show, um, both myself and Bo were kind of feeling it. Struggling. I think, I, we were struggling, yeah, let's be honest. Yeah. Now, I, I, I'm still a firm believer that i really enjoy the first three episodes i thought the first three episodes were doing things that were interesting that had me hooked and i know that you were kind of after the cliffhanger at the end of episode two you slowly were starting the decline of interest and i think what we basically said at the end of the last episode was that you know we're in for the long haul we have to watch it for not only this podcast but i think for the completest in us with four episodes left i don't think there was any we weren't going to watch it unless i don't know every show featured the bar sequence but instead of the scarred woman playing the guitar we had justin bieber concerts you know that, that might that might have stopped me i might have been like no i'm checking out but you're not you're much, not a believer i am not a believer uh, i do like saying the word believer though um i i also like the fact that i call myself a fanable uh, cuz i'm a fan of hannibal <laughs> yeah. so 
I, I love that we can live in a society just now that you can use these terms without being ridiculed by other people. Not. Um, Are you so, a fan of Belieber? Oh, dear God almighty. A fan of Hannibal that listens to Justin Bieber. Yeah, it's that, a weird yeah. cross-section, but it happens. <laughs> a weird cross-section. It's you, isn't it, Bo? It's just you. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not not a fan of Belieber. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, this is getting... See, this is what happens. It gets taken off topic. Um, so, yeah, um, so, yeah, I think we both basically felt that the show meandered heavily last week and that very little to do with the actual crux of what the story is, which is there's a murder here that needs to be investigated and very little happened in the way of investigation. Um, and then we got this fantastic shootout sequence at the end of the show and it just didn't feel like it needed to be in that episode or that the episode itself had merited that that shootout I, I just didn't feel right so we both kind of said that this episode was make or break we're now past the halfway point things need to start going and we hypothesized some theories Bo um, from that last show that we imagined that what might happen is it may be set in the future which it was tick we also said that we kind of felt that what might happen is that these characters would be split up to do different things and then something would pull them back. Tick. That was a big tick in that box as well. Now, I think the reason we comfortably predicted these things is that these are not breaking the mould. These are kind of cliché to an extent that this is what happens in these sort of detective stories. You know, the ones that don't get solved years later, the guys get brought back. In the case of this one, it's a mere 50 days, I think, if we include the investigation time. We know that because um, our, our man Frank says it's been 60... Uh, he either says it's 60 or 66 days since Casper died. Uh, and it's been reported in the, the news as well that this is... So we know that time has moved on. Things are not looking great for Frank. Frank has downsized considerably from that lovely, lovely villa that he had on top of that that hill with the picturesque view and a lovely pool to a small house in the suburbs. Um, and he's not a happy man, obviously. Uh, no, not a happy man. Because uh, he still doesn't have his money. And he's, start, he's having to hustle to try and get money and influence um, as well. And power, because, you know, people are challenging him daily. Um, he is no longer fully comfortable with his, uh, his, his sidekick, Blake. Who, as we remember in the last episode, he started making him work the floor. Um, in the casino, because he kind of felt that this young whippersnapper was getting a bit too big for his britches, that's right, using American terms, um, and, um, you know, he needed to kind of put him back in his place to remind him who he worked for, who was the boss. Um, and that... See, to be honest, from the first time we've met that character, that character, that Blake character has never sat right with me, to be honest, and maybe we haven't spoken that much about it but i think the reason we haven't spoken that much about it in any previous episodes is that it's such a minor it has in the past anyway been such a minor plot detail that there's so much other things to talk about in the show i don't know how you felt about that when we when we finally started to get a reveal of not only frank's suspicions on the character but then ultimately what happens later on in the episode when ray follows him 
What did you think of that? Yeah, I I thought that was interesting. I, you know, it's one of those cases where true detective, true detectives you. And <laughs> and you're like, hey, remember this character that you saw a couple of times and there were a couple of lines that came out of his mouth that, you know, created or, or displayed a little bit of a, a conflict between he and Frank, although not, not enough for Frank to get rid of the guy or anything, but just the, the guy was, as you put it, a little big for his britches. Uh, yeah. Which, by the way, just for the record, we did give that expression to Canada. That is technically a Canadian expression now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's 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 getting all Canadian up in the, in the joint, and uh, it. W- I don't know how how far we want to go in terms of yeah, where, yeah, but... where the reveal is, but yeah, it it's nice to see True Detective do that thing of like, oh, this has been in front of you the whole time. Yeah. And here's how we're going to explode this story outward in a much more detailed way. And it doesn't feel cheap. It doesn't feel like the beginning of uh, episode three where it's like, oh, I got shot twice. I'm fine. Let's go on with the show, everybody. And and in this case, it was like, oh, so this guy has been, if not a plant uh, for, for someone... Um, which would make some sense or, you know, an informant for the higher powers. Um, he's definitely a guy that's got his fingers into some other pies and some of those pies, Duncan, are Casper shaped. (laughs) I love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Yeah. Either that or he, he has aspirations of taking over. Yes. Which I think I, I get the feeling that. I get the feeling that there's a lot of people from the conversation that Frank has. Once again, Frank goes to see the mayor and the mayor is how this guy is a mayor is beyond me. Um, Cause he just seems to be permanently pissed, like constantly drunk and angry and, and dismissive, uh, short tempered. And Frank always seems to be at the brunt of it, uh, but we'll come back to, we're going to come back to that. So, um, Things have moved on, and our characters have moved on, and we we jump to Ray first, and Ray is no longer a police officer. In fact, Ray took up the job that Frank offered him. Uh, once again, kind of solidifying that friendship that the two characters have, which I can't wait to talk about the end. <laughs> <laughs> really can't wait to talk about that. There's uh, a great, like, Colin Farrell is really acting his ass off scene in this show. Oh, yeah. Uh, but yeah, before we get to that, yeah, Ray, like, here's what I like about Ray early on, if, mm-hmm. at the risk of interrupting you. Um, I like the fact that not only is he working for Frank, but, uh, I, uh, all right, here's one thing I don't agree with shaving off that mustache. Yeah, that was did, stupid. Did, yeah, did not like that. Did not like that at all. That, that, that was the source of all your power. Yes. What are you doing? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's a, a facial Samson is what we've yeah. got here, and now <laughs> and now Colin Farrell is weak. Um, but I do like the you know when you see him kind of going through the uh, the apartment building that we saw in episode three. Is that right? Yeah. When he was picking yeah. up the um, you know kind of low rent sort of uh, L.A. apartment complex that's got. You know, one would assume some illegal immigrants working there, and at least, mm-hmm. it, at least Ray threatens as much when he goes to collect some money from the tenants. Uh, the place looks terrible. 
Um, there are people who are clearly uh, not well off doing not well off things in the courtyard. Yeah. And Frank, or not Frank, Ray, uh, goes to collect some money. And uh, the, the woman, uh, obviously a mother and a wife, uh, says she doesn't have all of the money. She gives him part of it. And uh, Ray lets her skate for a day. Yeah. And so we still see that, yes, he has descended back into, not back, but descended into this life of crime uh, in a way, but he still has a moral compass and maybe a more sharply tuned moral compass than he had when he was with the cops because it doesn't look like he's getting sloshed every night. He's off drugs. He's trying to get his kid back, mm -hmm. trying to do the right thing, even though the right thing in this scenario Again, as Vince Vaughn said, sometimes your your worst self is your best self. Yeah. And and that's where Ray is at this point. He's doing kind of immoral things. Not kind of. He's doing immoral and illegal things. But he's doing it for the right reasons and trying to kind of pick up uh, the pieces of his life as best he can. Yeah. And, I mean, he, he is uh, confronted by his former uh, lieutenant who... Um, we get like the small interaction with them where he's like, I can't believe you went off to do that. You should, you could, you didn't have to resign. You didn't have to quit the police force. We would have taken care of you. That's what we do. Um, it appears that that scandal, that scandal that was rushing through to, to find corruption has pretty much turned up nothing in Vinci in the police department. It didn't look like any of the key figures in the police office, you know, were out of a job. So, which is pretty much what. Uh, Ray had said in the previous episode when he was talking to Annie and he basically said listen this is about money you know it's ultimately about money and the people that are team players in that facilitation of money will not lose their job if you think things are going to change things will not change don't be naive um, and then obviously we then, we, we then jump on and find out that nothing has changed and he could have been protected but like you said, he's kind of trying to clean up his act, he's trying to get his kid back, and I think he just couldn't live with it. After the shootout, he just couldn't live with it anymore, so he has quit the police. Yeah, I um, think it's that situation where the criminal is, in a way, more honest than the cop. Yeah, yeah, def know? definitely. And um, it, was, it was quite interesting because he... We keep getting this question that comes up in this episode over and over again, and it's a question which we asked... In the previous episode, did we think for one second that this Mexican group of drug dealers were the one behind Casper's death? And of course it's no, because this would be the worst show in the world if that was the case. Um, yeah, what if so, that was the resolution? Like, it was a totally oh, random thing. Yeah, we... <laughs> it, was, it was this all along. Yep. Sorry, guys. <laughs> yep, the, the next four episodes, nothing but, you know, Ray and Frank at karaoke. <laughs> I would watch that. Yeah, I'd be okay with that. Now that I said it, I was like, you know, yeah. I'd watch that show. I would watch that. Um, but yeah, so, uh, you know, th th this question comes up and it's pretty much mouthed by all the all the main characters anyway. Ask this question, you know, do you know, do we think that the Mexican people were behind Casper's death? And you can see in their face, no one 
ultimately comes out and says anything till towards the end and a negative it's almost like a rhetorical question that we the audience can tell from their face and we agree from their facial expression we agree that this is not the case um so yeah so he's his uh, his boss unfortunately has to tell him that he's going to be evicted because the house that he stays in which is right beside his uh, right beside the police station best location ever really he's like right on the doorstep he's work it's probably one of the safest houses in the entire Vin- uh, Vinci but um so he you know he's going to be made homeless it, we then see him in a in, in the the basically he's in a room with his wife and the two lawyers are hashing out in front of a judge for custody and uh, the conversation breaks down pretty quick a paternity test is going to be ordered a, su- a supervised visitation uh, for the kid is going to be ordered and Ray's ex is pissed at him. I mean, she she looks at him and there's venom, you know, in her eyes towards him. And he even says to his own, you know, Laura, that she's never looked at me like that before. Something's happened. She's never been like that with me before. And we'll find out why that is later on. Um, let's talk about Annie, right? Because Annie, she hasn't ended up the one that was playing by the book and by the rules out of the three police officers the most is the one that, because, like as you remember in the previous episode, she was going to get hauled up for these sexual harassment charges for for um, having sex with someone who was a subordinate. Um, and she has now been given that most cliche of, of police things, which is a desk job in the evidence sorting room for a couple of months to cool off. And and let's not forget, uh, one would assume, uh, police-ordered or, you know, institution-ordered sexual harassment group. One of the best scenes in this. <laughs> one of the best scenes in this. Because we're, we're surrounded by a group of guys at first. We don't see Annie there, but we see these guys, and all these guys are talking about, you know, basically this kind of idea of, you know, what is sexual harassment or what, you know, what is this kind of chauvinistic or sexist approach to women? Because they don't see it because, you know, if a hot woman comes up, you know, and they're, they're doing all this sort of thing and then the camera pans around and we get Annie. And uh, Annie's asked to say something and you can see she she really doesn't want to be there. So she plays into it by saying that the only reason that she's there is because she wants a big dick. Right, and not not necessarily long. Yeah, it's girth, but girth. And then she says something about putting a handcuff on it. And honest, I was drinking tea in the living room when this was on, and when she said that, my tea came out my nose. I was like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, and all the guys in the room are like, you know, so like maybe we shouldn't have this conversation here. All the guys are like, no, let her talk. Yeah, let her tell you. Oh yeah, you know, his hands getting slipped in the front of trousers and god knows what else is uh it's yeah it's a really nice moment where she sort of understands the people that she's in the room with and plays to the crowd in a way uh but yeah it's you know guys being very stereotypically chauvinist and her being stereotypically chauvinist in reverse yeah, and I I thought that I thought that was a wonderful scene because she's she's one of these characters that you know I I found her really interesting throughout. I'm still waiting for that moment where she's going to truly shine and take the knives out and lacerate someone. Right, the uh, Wolverine uh, is what you want. Yeah, yeah, it's what I'm wanting, and I know I'm going to get it eventually, but I need to wait. And I'm I'm, I'm a patient man. I'm a patient man. And um, but she's now got this this 
basically this desk job and evidence sorting. And um, she's still working the case of this missing woman from the very first episode. This woman that went missing, this uh, kind of Latino woman who has disappeared. And her sister says that she received an anonymous package and she's guessing it's from her. And inside the anonymous package was a bunch of photos and what looked like a, a very fancy invitation with a logo embossed in it and kind of gold. But the pictures are what are, what are the most interesting aspect because there's a couple of things in these pictures of interest to us, the viewer. Uh, the first one is Blue Diamonds. Now, for those that remember, when they were going through Casper's stuff in the safety deposit box, there was Blue Diamonds. Um, it looks like the same blue diamonds. Not only that, in one of the pictures, there is what appears to be some sort of congressman or senator or, or something like that. But in another picture, there is Casper. Casper alive with a couple of prostitutes. Um, so obviously this is, she's now seeing that, surprise, surprise, the case that she was originally on somehow ties back into this. And uh, very much like, I think we kind of kind of hypothesized that um, she goes to her sister who is away from all that. Like she said, she would. She's like, give me two months and I'll be away from all this, this, the sex work. Um, and she'll never go to one of those parties. And right. basically, in true to her word, she does it. That's surprising from a prostitute. She does it. Yeah. She, she not only does she do it, but she gets into a, a quite prestigious art school as well. Um, which I thought was pretty good. Uh, but our sister now is saying to her, you know, Annie's now saying, you know, if you can maybe make some contact with some of your old sex worker friends and see if you can maybe, I don't know, get some information about when the next one of these parties is going to happen. But whatever you do, and this is going to be a key thing for one of these upcoming episodes, because I can already see where it's going, but she's like, whatever you do, you don't go. I will go. You don't go. And you just know that she's going to end up going and dying. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's anyone... There, there are previously undiscovered tribes in the Amazon that know that her sister is going to go to that party. Yeah, she's going to go to that party and she's ultimately going to die. She's going to get caught and die. Um, but, uh, yeah, so that, that was quite interesting. But, but Annie's like, she's now even more focused to solve this case. She wants to solve the case. She wants to find out who you know, ultimately who has kidnapped or murdered this Latino woman, but find out what exactly has happened to Casper. So that kind of, for now, we'll shelf her character for now. That's where we are with her. Let's jump to Paul, Bo. My man, Paul. Yeah, because cause Paul, Paul is the only one out of the group that seems to have, from from the outside world's point of view, made well out of this. He is being seen as the hero of the event. He really stepped into his own. He, you know, when his back was against the wall, he protected his police officer friends. And, you know, he really he really stepped up by killing a lot of these drug dealers. Um, and he's been made a detective like he was promised. He was promised that he would make detective. The only issue is that he's been taken off the road, which was the one thing he wanted, which he's not given. He's, he's been given a job. Basically, it's insurance, isn't it? It's insurance fraud. Yeah, insurance fraud investigation, which is probably really lucrative and not... Like, I, I'm sure it's a good job. Yeah. You know, that, like, it doesn't... 
it probably sounds boring on the service, but when you're dealing with people who like set their own houses on fire or whatever to claim insurance or, you know, fake a death or whatever, I'm sure that there is interesting stuff to be had. I don't think it's a terrible job. It's obviously a promotion. Um, he's with, uh, his, his girlfriend now fiance after pulling the Albert Brooks, uh, last episode, uh, marry me. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> such a bad move such a bad move it's never the right thing to do um, you could you could almost hear you know like when you see the the delayed reactions of a mexican wave you could almost hear the delayed reactions throughout the whole world of men slapping their foreheads and women slapping their foreheads and going oh no you did not want to do that and it was like a a collective clap that just like echoed right throughout the whole world in time with when the show was shown the, the facepalm heard around the world. Um, the facepalm from <laughs> the world, yeah. It, yeah, it's... It, like, are, are, are we going to jump into the dinner scene? Should we talk about this a little bit? Right. Or, or, should, just, we, or should we talk about his mother first? Yeah, before before we get to dinner, it, yeah, goes, okay. to see, it goes to see his mother. Now... In quotes. Yeah, we, we have seen his mother before in a previous episode, and I, I'm trying to think of the word we... Was it... Uh, terrifyingly creepy <laughs> i think yeah yeah hyphenated but yes i think that's right yeah his mother who we were fairly sure by the end of the conversation that they've fucked and if they haven't fucked she's wanted to yeah yeah badly and she so he goes back there and he's searching through the the property and he finds his old army bag his own his old khaki bag and he opens it up and it's empty which is not what he wanted to see because in that bag we find out was twenty thousand dollars, which he had basically, we can assume, stole, uh, possibly, or he was paid off by someone from his time in Black Mountain. He confronts his mother about it, who, um, let's just say, isn't the most uh, understanding or forgiving about being uh, accused of spending this money. She basically tells him she has. Because it's been there for a couple of years and she just assumed that if you leave a bag, I don't know about you, Bob, but, you know, if you leave your bag with $20,000 stashed in a friend's house and they spend it, you know, it's kind of your fault, Bob, because you probably shouldn't have left it there for a couple of years. You know, I equate this whole rationalization she has to the same ones uh, applied to the idea of an all-knowing, all-powerful God that scatters fossils around the globe. <laughs> you know, and it's that like, well, that's God's best trick, you know? Um, yeah. And yeah. In, in a similar fashion with Paul and his mother, I'm like, well, if you didn't want me to use all that money, why would you leave it here? I mean, mm -hmm. yes, it was hidden. And yes, it was in a place that ordinarily I would never look, but clearly I did. So that was a good game. You you played a good trick. I just happened to solve the riddle. <laughs> By the way, look at my Rolex. Um, right. <laughs> Can I interest you in a fossil? <laughs> and, uh, you know, this is the kind of, like, the, Taylor Kitsch's character, Paul, kind of, we start to see a bit of the rage. Like, start to, the mask, that, that kind of, 
I love it. I actually love the mannerisms of his character in this this week. Of when later on when we talk about his um, his sitting across from the actress that accused him of forcing him to you know perform a blowjob on him, and his face is shaking with rage. I mean, visibly shaking with rage, and he's trying. You can see he's trying everything in his will not to grab that woman's head and repeatedly smack it off a table to the applause of everyone in the room. You know, sure, sure. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's that lit. And it, it, we don't, the mask is gone when he deals with his mother because why have a mask? Um, and he starts kind of losing it. And, you know, he obviously says his money wasn't for you. I'm going to have a family. I'm going to be married. And his mom says, listen, you, you're an attractive white man. You could do anything you want. You could be with anyone you want. You shouldn't be with a Latino woman. She makes and good she points, sh- yes. Yep, and she should not be pregnant with your child. And um, she she goes in this, this kind of diatribe about this. And um, she then tells him that she basically knows he's, you know. Yeah, if he's not I've seen gay, you with your boys, yeah. all your friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, I know what that's about, and Paul snaps. Oh, the, the uh, let me let me give you my favorite pairing of two words I've heard in a while. Go for it. Uh, you poisonous coos. <laughs> Which ironically was the name of my high school band, but I knew you were gonna see that. <laughs> it never, we never made it big. I don't know why. Yeah, it may have been the name. We don't know. We don't and know. it was all steel uh, drums. We all played steel drums, which was probably a poor decision <laughs> in retrospect. Yeah, you started the band, but you didn't know what everyone else was playing. And then you all yeah. showed up for practice, and everyone came in with the steel drums, and we're like, oh, it was, this is awkward. It was an all-steel drum Neil Young cover band, which doesn't translate as well as you think it might. <laughs> oh, so, yeah, so he, he storms out, and... I love that the, the woman that plays his mother is a pretty fantastic actress because she obviously talks about how she was a, like a fairly famous, successful, we can I'm going to put this in quotation marks, a dancer. And then she had him and that basically killed that career because, you know, you, you've got a kid after that and his rendition of it is completely different that she was a pole dancer and she probably wouldn't even know who the father was because she was sleeping with that many different guys we can only assume for money um, but she plays this oh, she's such a good actress actually in this scene because she waits for him to storm out she goes to the door in tears and she's kind of crying until the car starts and it drives off and then her facial mannerisms change for a split second before the scene stops. And it's almost as if she's kind of half smiling. And I love that. I, I think it's like she is the, she's like a, a complete manipulator. That's who, that's who she is. She's been doing it all his life. Um, and then he goes home for dinner. And Bo, I will let you take the floor in this one. He goes home for dinner with his wife and his uh, soon-to-be mother-in-law. Right. It's a recipe for the worst thing that could happen in the healthiest of relationships. <laughs> okay, so uh, so Paul goes home. Uh, his fiance and his, his soon-to-be mother-in-law are around the table talking about you know the wedding and the kid and all that stuff. Paul pours himself a glass of iced tea and Irishes it up a little bit with a couple of smugglers. 
<laughs> so help me, uh, like, let me know if I lose you on any of this slang. But this is all. <laughs> I'm assuming smugglers are smugglers. Yeah, the I'm little just... airplane bottles. Yeah, smugglers. Yeah, yeah, I've got, I've, I've got you, I've got you. <laughs> so drops a couple of smugglers. Actually, a total of three, I think, is what he ends up with. Yeah. And takes this, you know, very watered down glass of iced tea, which I was kind of looking to see if his was more clear than the other people's <laughs> on, at the table, which I think it might have been, but I'm not sure. Um, I only know that because my grandmother enjoyed her screwdrivers, and those got l- way more translucent as the evening wore on. Uh, yeah, so oh, I'm attuned yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, so Paul sits down for dinner, and then his fiance is like, you know what's going to be great? Um, my mom wants to move in with us because of me having the baby and she'll be close and all that stuff. And then the mother just fires off. Yeah, da 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 About how great it's going to be and all that stuff. And Paul, who is neither straight nor all that interested in this relationship, although, you know, he's pretending to be, um, downs this iced tea that he has concocted for himself <laughs> As conversations are spinning about how this is going to be such a great thing for the the relationship and their family, and he is just boozing it up. He's doing whatever he's got to do to get through this conversation, the next day at work, whatever it is. Like, he has taken the Ray Velcoro school of drinking, where it is just like, we drink all the time, and we hide it as best we can, and if we get found out, mm, whatever. Because there is only one way I'm making it through this night without killing both of these individuals. Yeah, as as it was, it was one of those. It was just an awkward dinner. I love that as well because I, I love the fact that they're you know, and you're off your bike now. It's good that you're off your bike and look, he wears a nice suit and all the rest, all the things that he hates. And then to top it all off, mother-in-law's going to move in. Um and yeah, you could just tell. I thought was once again a great scene, and once again we're finally starting to get a bit more of Paul in a way that I quite like. We'll obviously we'll we'll dissect the 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 Paul paradigm at the end of this <laughs> at the end of this uh, show where we'll see if you know if you're still stringently against Paul or if your your heart slowly being warmed to that character Bo, but I, I will say this uh that that dinner table scene um reminded me of uh how good an idea it is if you're ever in a bad relationship just to our listeners um if you find yourself in that position the first thing you should try to do is have a child <laughs> and if that doesn't work and or does work propose those are yeah. immediately the two things you should go to it helps if you're not attracted to other people of the opposite sex. Yes, it does. It does. But unfortunately, he is now in a hell that he has created. He's created yeah, his, own, his own personal hell. That's the thing we can't forget about Paul, is that all of this is contingent on him being closeted, not, not being honest with himself and who he is, and creating this perfect life for himself. That on the surface seems like exactly what you want. He's got a good job. He's got a house. He's got a fiance, baby on the way, all that stuff. All that seems like the American dream come true, mm-hmm. but it's not what Paul wants. Yeah, and, but it's not at all what Paul wants. Yes. Paul, Paul wants solitude and a bike. Paul that's wants a, what was. a bike and, you know, a dude that's got girth, not necessarily length. <laughs> 
something about handcuffs. Um, but yeah, so so that's, that's, that's why became a <laughs> So that's where we are reporting. Now, Frank, Frank is like going through a bit of an interesting time as well. Um, Frank is obviously stressed with trying to recover his money, the Casper situation he's not happy about. He once again questions Ray about it. You know, do you think for one second those Mexicans killed Casper? And Ray's not wanting anything to do with it. He's kind of brushing off. Uh, he sets Ray to follow Blake. Um, but also in this episode, we'll obviously find, you know, he's moved house. He has that dealing with the mayor. And the mayor says, you know, I know you're you're running extra money through that. Casino, so that's five more that you're doing me each time now, just for being disrespectful and get out there, uh, you know, get out and uh, you know he has to leave by uh, the mayor's uh, rather ominous in terms of how little we know about him. Assistant, uh, who's a small Asian man, kind of reminded me of Kato, uh, <laughs> you know, a wee bit. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. In, in terms of just very confident, very calm stature, but, you know, he doesn't say much at all. And he directs him out the room. Um, he's having difficulty with his uh, wife or girlfriend or whoever it is. Um, and that she has apparently in the past mentioned adoption. He was not interested in that at all. It looks like they've kind of given up on trying to conceive. And she furthermore has went, the next level, and she's been checked by doctors, and she can't conceive. Right, um, because the one abortion that she copped to mm-hmm. has become three that she had in her late 20s. Yeah. And as someone who has done a number of amateur abortions, Duncan, <laughs> oh, it, it just wreaks havoc down there. Yeah, um, yeah. But, but you don't do it right, it doesn't, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's not a thing you want to, you know, kind of wing, is what I'm saying. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I think it's interesting in that scene. Um, I really like that Frank is justifying, and I don't think it's rationalizing. I really don't. I think it's him justifying them being club owners again by saying, like, look, this was never my idea. I had money stolen from me. This is what I know. This is the path that got me to the place I was. Mm -hmm. And now I've just got to go back up the ladder. And in the meantime... You know, you're giving me all this shit. And I, I one of my favorite lines uh, from the whole episode was him saying, you know, can we just we can we just talk to each other like it's me and you mm-hmm. and not, you know, not walk around on eggshells like we have this history together. Like we're close and we're not communicating. Yeah. And, you know, do you do you still love me? Do you do you you know, you know, I don't want to be doing this, but I've got to. Are you going to stick with me? If you don't, I kind of understand that. Like, I like him saying, maybe you're somebody who loves me is going to stick with me. Maybe you're somebody who loves me and can't stick with me. Yeah, I understand that. Mm -hmm. Um, So I really like Frank's like sort of emotional maturity about all of this in the moment. Yeah. And then, you know, when when Kelly Riley or Jordan uh, drops the bomb of like, oh yeah, I I was just, you know, going through abortions like Tic Tacs for a while, and now, <laughs> and now my lady parts don't work so good. Um, <laughs> I should have been a doctor. This really, but uh, and and her saying, okay, now who loves who? Yeah, and I and the the kind of parallel scene to that being when he finally does go home and they're they're actually 
talking about it and him saying like you know what you said about the idea of adoption hit me and i understood it like it, it felt like their relationship was cementing in a way that we've never seen that it's since since yeah. maybe the conversation about the water stains yeah yeah as yeah the, and i i quite like that as well because i think that puts to at the moment anyway it puts to bed that part of the story which i feel we've been spending a, you know a rather large amount of time um, on and I would quite like to see that move slightly to the back burner so we can kind of push the Frank thing because Frank goes uh, to Catalyst um, and decides he's going to shake them down because he knows everything. He knows that he used to ra rather mafioso um, and it's uh, and it's complete cliche. He used to run a waste disposal company, which he sold off. But he sold it off after he had been making all these toxic drops along all these sites that we saw in the previous episode. All this land that's been bought up for reduced money is because Frank's been dumping toxic waste up along those different all those different plots. And it's been getting bought up. So Frank knows this. And Frank also knows that the guy he sold it to, who never touched a, a, a drop of alcohol in his life, somehow had some alcohol and then died in a crash. Which right. Is suspect. Um, and he knows it's suspect. The mayor knows it's suspect. Catalyst know it's suspect. But no one's letting on except Frank. So Frank decides he's going to shake down Catalyst. And... Um, what was quite funny about this is this is for the first time we get clear a clear indication that Catalyst have nothing to do with our mass killer. And the reason we know that is because they say there's a way for Frank to get back in the game and they can maybe give him some land to put him back in the game, but they require something which was stolen, a certain hard drive which we saw at the end of episode two when uh, Ray was shot and it was taken by the man that shot him and Catalyst don't have that and their interested parties, the Catalyst interested parties, want that hard drive back. So they send Frank to basically track it down. If he can bring them the hard drive, they will give him the land, which gets him back in the game. It's like a shortcut to get back where he wants to be. So, which, yeah, I, once again, quite like that idea as well, because we're kind of narrowing that net now. And Catalyst are still going to be involved in some capacity, I would imagine, but we're now trying to uh, kind of focus on who our shooter is. And even Ray later on mentions that, you know, the guy that shot him was only there for the hard drive because he never killed him. Um, so, once again... Who is this person? We're good. We'll once again get to towards the end of the the episode. So um, Frank has set Ray out there. Ray follows Blake, and Blake um, first travels to uh, the the plastic surgeon's house. Remember that creepy plastic surgeon from episode number two, uh, Mister Permatan. Uh, yeah, I can't remember his name, but we know that he knows the mayor from the past they went to that uh mayor's like the chisani house and it, yeah Pit, the, pitler is his name yeah yeah pitler yeah they went to the chisani house but not only that when the mayor really wanted rid of his ex-wife it was this guy that incarcerated her and it's alluded to that maybe he was responsible for her committing suicide um and so he comes out with these women that look like they've had a bit of breast work done, if you know what I mean. Um, 
and Blake opens the door, and who else is there but Chisani's son, the the kind of the party organizer, and they all go off in this limo. Um, Ray follows them, um, and obviously, you know, he sees where they go. So Ray is obviously going to have to tell Frank about this, but something happens in the interim, and what happens in the interim is it's a mod that, squad, Duncan. We have a mod squad. We 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 have well no actually it's the mole men Bo the mole men come to Ray in a vision like a sh- a shaman vision mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and they they tell him that secretly secret no I'm not joking uh, I couldn't I couldn't follow through I was tra- I was losing interest in that story myself I was uh, excited but... I like mole men stories <laughs> so um, we then jump to a scene where we have our original three police officers. And the 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 woman from the was it internal affairs or DA she worked for? She, um, yeah, she's district attorney, and she is not happy. And the reason she's not happy is uh, one of the guys she was working with, the guy that plays Vince Masuka on Dexter, um, is now making a run for Casper's old job. Um, and he's he's making a run for it in a big way, and he was the one that was supposed to be trampling out corruption and now she is convinced that he is involved somehow and in, in some conspiracy and that's why he's now set the cards the case is now gone away he can now run for this um run for this position and she basically wants to set up a group off the books that are going to look into primarily the missing latino girl um, with a view to hopefully solving the Casper case. Um, she doesn't need to really worry about Annie. Annie's on board 100%. It would appear Annie has taken this to her. Um, at the same time, Paul's down with it as well because Paul says it himself, doesn't want to be a, uh, this detective working an in insurance fraud, wants to be back on his bike, doesn't like what he's doing. Um, however, Ray, not so keen to get back in the saddle because... Ray's kind of... Ray, I think... He's he's got a lot on his plate, yeah. Yeah, but I think he's too wise. I think he... Or suspicious would be a better word. Cynical. He looks at it as, you know, he basically says, oh yeah, and if this guy, if we we manage to remove this guy's chance of, you know, achieving this position in the the county or whatever, you you know, this isn't opportunistic for you to run for it. You know what I mean? And he's kind of very standoffish. And... um, she basically says to him, listen, I know you're fighting for custody of your son. I can make sure you get the full support of my office in that endeavour. We'll make sure that you get your boy. Uh, which I don't know how she can do that, but you know she makes that promise anyway because she knows that's Ray's Achilles heel. That's his, his weak right. spot. And he agrees to it. And um, in that conversation with them, she lets slip that... And you should have guessed this was coming anyway. And the reason you should have guessed this was coming was because I think we mentioned it earlier in our shows. Um, not only did we mention it earlier shows, but the clip previously on True Detective, they once again showed that that sequence of Ray getting the picture from Frank of the man that raped his wife to go and sort things out. So that was obviously going to get addressed again in this episode because um, it's a reminder. But she tells him that this, this guy has been caught um, recently. And uh, they did some testing, and he's a serial sex offender. And uh, yeah, he's uh, and of course, Ray's world breaks. Uh, and and this is like Colin Farrell, like I'm gonna act, and yeah. I don't mean that pejoratively. 
like the the wash of emotions that go yeah. over his face during this scene of realization is unbelievable. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, to me it's like it is all it's on level with it, it's when people say career uh, career defining performance. This is you know this is as good as TV gets in terms of television actors. He really. As you follow every single emotion just from the expression on his face. I mean, I've always loved him as an actor. One of my favourite movies of all time is In Bruges. I think In Bruges is a phenomenal film. And he's the reason it's a phenomenal film. Yeah, Brendan Gleeson's amazing in it. Uh, Ralph Fiennes is amazing in it. But Colin Farrell is amazing in it. He's like super amazing in it because he's dealing with all these complex emotions. Um, and probably one of the most boring picturesque places in entire Europe. But and he's and, not. And, 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 the the thing about In Bruges too that I really love is that Colin Farrell's character isn't all that smart. He's not. And, he's really not. and he's kind of he has trouble expressing himself sometimes. There's a lot of anger that just fires out of him because he doesn't know how to appropriately deal with some of those motion emotions. And and sort of Ray is kind of like that character. He's not yeah. I don't think he's as dim as the character in In Bruges actually. Mm-hmm. I but I think that he is possessing of a certain moral code. And as, you know, to go back to um what I think this would be episode 2, I want to mm-hmm. say, where he talks about uh natural law. Yes, yeah, yeah, I love that, yeah. And and him saying that what he did in pursuit of the woman, or the man who attacked his wife, um, is, you know, like, it, it is, there is no natural law that would, would find him guilty, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So, this revelation that, hey, here's this repeat uh, sex offender, we've tied him to six cases, including mm-hmm. your wife's. Now, you know, and we caught him, you know, he's, he's in jail right now. We got him. And that transition of, oh my God, that can't be true because I killed Mm -hmm. that guy. Holy shit. I didn't kill the right guy. Holy shit. Frank gave me the wrong name. Holy shit. Frank's been playing me for the past 20 years or whatever. And like all of that and, and regret and rage and sadness and shame and everything that you would imagine finding out that you may have murdered someone in cold blood for no good yep. reason would bring you. But just set him on the path that he was in. Cause when we see him, he's a fresh face cop. Um, and you know, at the beginning of the episode one, he's a fresh face cop. Um, when he first deals with Frank and once you, once you blur the lines, once you bend those lines a little bit, it's easier to go back and bend them again. And, you know, he's been doing all this kind of stuff for Frank, beating up reporters, uh, threatening people. He's now working for the guy. You know, he gave up his, his profession to go and work for this guy. And um, because this guy told him, you know, you're bright, I, I could use you. You have to give up this police right. stuff. I mean, more than that, the conversations that they have at this shitty bar. Yeah, you know, all like the these, Yeah, the, like, you know, Frank is telling him, like, you're somebody I can come and talk to. You know, I like, I like the fact that you're getting your head together. You're a smart guy. You know, like being very encouraging and friendly and they have this relationship. Although even in this episode, you see that moment where when uh, Frank is about to ask him to go follow 
um, the henchmen and and mm-hmm. start uncovering, you know, pulling at some of those threads. There, there's a moment there where um, Ray asks him. I'm trying to remember if it was about like maybe Jordan or the kid or like a something about that. And Vince Vaughn pushes back really hard, like, yeah. "Hey, we're not that close." Yeah, and. So you do get this impression that, yeah, Frank presents himself as this friendly, like, all shucks, aren't we pals kind of guy when it suits him, but also does not see Colin Farrell as any kind of equal. Like, Ray is not his equal by any stretch. No, no, no. It's a tool. It's a tool that he can use, um, and he has been using for quite a while. Right, and And it's a tool he forged through manipulation. So, yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd, and I'd, I mean, part of me had been suspicious about it. I think we said possibly in our first episode, maybe been off here, that I said that, you know, wouldn't it be pretty... Wouldn't it be an interesting turn of events to find out that, you know, Ray was sent after the wrong guy? Um, and this maybe aided Frank's ascension to power. Um, I know that it certainly looks that way. Um, Ray has a very awkward conversation with his wife or his ex-wife where he is still trying to process everything so it's, it's almost as if like the same sort of she's thrown these accusations you know you know did you just and she thinks that he he's made this up that right. he got the guy that <laughs> not did that it. he killed the wrong guy that yeah. he just made a dude up yeah 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 and and how could you do this and you know this is what destroyed our marriage and all the rest and the only thing the only thing that Ray can say when she's moving, when she's walking away back to her car is, Frank set me up. And she doesn't know who Frank is. She says, that means nothing to me. Um, and Ray has had enough. Ray, um, well, the camera pans away from Ray. Uh, and we'll talk about what Ray does uh, at the end of the episode. Meanwhile, um, Paul and Annie are following up this this lead that they have uh, by, I think they go up to the Chisani cabin, don't they? The Chisani lodge. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it is where, uh, the cell phone, right. Like, the, the cell phone call originated from. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And it, it is not, I don't, I don't, it, Maybe is it the original the Chisani, Chisani cabin? I don't think it is actually yeah. now that we've said that. And they go away up there and it's remote and they're looking through the windows and, you know, nothing's, nothing looks too suspicious it doesn't look like anyone's been there for a while except that when she looks back there's some buzzards circling and it just goes to show the difference in to me the the thing that felt a little bit unbelievable about this scenario is Annie picks up on it and she walks towards it having to explain kind of briefly to Paul what that means right what carrion birds are yeah yeah and I'm kind of thinking to myself Paul is a soldier that was surrounded by death. I get the feeling that Paul probably would have known that. But anyway, that's beside the point. So they continue following the track down, following where the birds are circling. They find a small outhouse cabin sort of thing. And when they go into it, there is a chair bolted to the ground with dried in pools of blood on the floor. And I don't know if you picked up on this, Bo, but those pools of blood look very similar to a certain shape that we mentioned in an earlier episode about those two rings that have appeared. I did not if... notice that similarity. I'm going to go back and look now because if it, it reason... if it supports yeah. my theory. 
yeah, the only reason I mention it is because that happens and the next sequence is Frank and um, Jordan talking where they directly mention the marks in the ceiling. Yeah, that they're not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That they're not there, right? So once again, this idea of those rings, the two rings, they mention it and then we jump straight to someone who talks about it, which I thought was quite interesting. Um, and they're obviously, him and Jordan are, are talking about, you know, they're having like a couple's conversation. It's fun, it's relaxed, you know, maybe we should just get rid of this life altogether. Because he's talking about the hard drive and she's like, you know, I'll sell up this place, get a farm. Um, and, the, you know, they're having some fun. And then the bang happens on the door. Bang, 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 bang. And of course, Frank being... I, you know, that gangster, uh, screaming at the person by the door, gets his gun, looks through the peephole, sees it's Ray, opens the door, and Ray asks him if he's alone. Uh, he says he is, and then he says that, you know, he needs to have a word with him, but he has that intense look in his face, um, and we cut to credits. Now, the only scene that I didn't mention, which I probably should have mentioned, actually, was two, two particular scenes of interest. One was our scene in the bar this time featured uh, Ray and Annie uh, in there, where we find out that Annie has been drinking a lot. Um, and she obviously mentioned back this, that she does not believe that Casper's uh, killers have been caught. And it's after that conversation she gets the the... Uh, the DA involved. Um, that's that's her kind of moving forward with it. The other sequence is the the scene in the 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 room with the actress and Paul, and uh, you know they 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 kind of have this back and forth. And like I say, Paul is is so angry, calls her a fucking liar at one point. I think. Um, and you know, I thought that once again that was quite a quite interesting scene because there's these accusations mentioned very blatantly about his time in Black Mountain, uh, and something to do with a village, um, and something to do with horrible acts that were done to people in this village, but she claims he was nowhere near. It's also the same sort of thing that was getting flung out by the reporters. The reporters from the previous week had asked them about that as well. Some accusation about, uh, I think it was uh, stuff done to women um, at the at this camp, which makes me think that maybe there's been some sort of mass rape or something, um, and a, a, like a like a genocide of some sort um, in this town that they mention and it's his unit that did it. I'm just I'm just, once again just speculating that, that that is a potential of what happened. Overall, Bo what did you think of the episode? I thought this was the episode I wish they had all been. Yep, I can uh, see that. Yeah. I, I think that like for example, the cliffhanger in this episode is not someone got shot, we had a gunfight. It you yeah. know it is this emotional beat of, I finally know the truth about how you've been deceiving me. Mm -hmm. And that's where we're going to leave it. So, you know, the promise is next week we get the satisfaction of seeing this conversation and or argument between Ray and Frank about how Frank manipulated Ray. And you know what it reminded me of, actually? It's like, it, it, there's a parallel between that and, and season one when we jump back to present time and uh, Marty's driving home and Russ 
drives up behind him, blinks the light, and walks over and speaks to him at the car, and that's the end of the episode. Yeah. You know, that way where, you know, it's like two forces finally collide that you've been waiting to collide for the entire season, finally collide, and you cut the credits and let you see, you know, for a fact that it's unavoidable. The next episode, it has to start with that. Right. We've got to deal with this. And uh, so I, I really like that a lot. I like the directions that the investigation went because there were a lot of a lot of details, like, I feel like this episode had so much packed into it, both character-wise and story-wise, that it was like, well, I don't know how this episode is so quality, and the past couple, I felt, have been uneven at best. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm glad it's here. I'm not, you know, really uh, be disappointed too much in the fact that the show that I really like seems to have found its footing yeah. Um, I like the time passage and it might be one of those things, like you said, uh, or we have said over the, the past few episodes that at the end of the season, those, that first half is going to feel far more critical than yeah. it does right now. Cause right now it feels like, well, we got a bunch of story leading up to the point where the investigation was closed. We know who these characters are now. So let's move forward yeah, and start solving, you know, the, the mystery and start, unraveling these characters and the secrets that they have. Mm -hmm. So I, I wish it had happened a little bit earlier. I, I, I kind of feel like if this had been episode three instead of episode four, I would have been really excited about this season. Yeah. yeah. Um, I still, you know, my, my long-term prediction is that I'm still going to look at back, look back at this season and think it has great moments. It's just not, anywhere near what season one was, mm -hmm. um, which I, I kind of expected, but I, I feel like it has been less consistently good than I expected it to be. Yeah. Um, but that said, I really enjoyed this episode. I thought all the characters were interesting. Um, Paul has shit going on and not just <laughs> the internal conflict of like, you know, well, I kind of like guys get off of me. I'm not gay. You know, that's kind yeah. of his character for the first three episodes. Um, so I like that. I like where, um, things are going with Ray and Frank. I think that now that we've seen this hostile style cabin out in the middle of nowhere, um, you know, things have taken, uh, certainly a dark turn. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I genuinely enjoy this. I'm really looking forward to seeing the episode on Sunday. Cause I, I start, I'm starting to feel like the questions that I have about the show, matter to me personally yeah yeah as yeah. opposed to just the intellectual exercise of oh from a dramatic point of view this character needs to do this and this character needs to do this and what's going to be the resolution of that and can you know uh nick uh pizzoletto uh surprise us with that and now mm -hmm. i've gotten to the point of just like oh i'm just enjoying this ride and, yeah and and it's nice to be there duncan i feel good <laughs> I'm, well, I'm, I'll tell you, I'll tell you, I'll tell you something that I deliberately omitted because um, I wanted to bring it up right at the end. And I'm surprised that you've not picked up on this or quizzed me on it because um, one of the most satisfying scenes in this whole episode, Bo, was a certain Ray visiting a certain psychologist or psychiatrist and beating the ever loving fuck out of him. All right. So I like Rick Springfield. <laughs> I think Hard to Hold is a much overlooked album. 
uh, as well as a film. Um, I think his work in daytime television is, is outstanding. Seeing Rick Springfield laid low like this did me no favors. Um, no, it's fantastic. I mean, so, so the thing yeah. is, you know, as the audience, when he takes his jacket off and he's wearing the black gloves, you're like, oh, fuck. Right. Yeah. Because <laughs> every time I've seen those black gloves in the past, someone's taken a beating. Well, all right. So you've got, yes, the, the black gloves are a mayday. Couple with that, you've been played for 20 years. Yeah, because he's just found this out. This is this is his. I think this ha- it may happen just after the conversation with his wife. Yeah, going to see Ray. So this is the night before he goes. The morning, the night before the morning, he goes to see Ray. Right, he goes to see the psychiatrist, and yeah. It, oh. So we've got gloves. We've got Ray is not in the best state of mind, and has kind of a hard on for, you know, solving this case for the benefit of his kid. Yeah, he's decided now. Yeah, he's, yeah. Uh, and I, I think it was like it's funny that he. It's funny that that's it's not at the same time, but it's funny that Sarodi goes down to get his answers. You know what I mean? So yeah. his first his first thing of right, I need to get this case moving is not to do what Annie and Paul have done, which is to do a bit of you know a bit of police work. He's just going to brute force this, um, and the man he brute forces it to is the man most deserving a punching that I've met so far because he's smarmy. He's you know th- th- this kind of ridiculous falsehood about him, and um, Raid goes to town, potential breaks his hand, makes him lose some teeth, um, and there's and every th- implication that that beating continues after we leave the scene. Oh God, yeah, yeah. I think yeah that that beating that beating definitely continues after that scene finishes. I think I think that would that was him just yeah. warmer. Yeah, well, after he's got the information he needs, you know, yeah. like he he now knows. Yes, there were these parties being arranged. Prostitutes were brought in. All that stuff, like, uh, understand sort of the basics of what was going on at these sex parties. Yeah, and, and but there's, he... a, there's a greater level, though, this this idea of blackmail of officials. Casper was blackmailing people. Right. So It's, it's sort of black... the Scientology thing of, like, when you go through and, and, and get clear or whatnot, yeah. whatever that is, and they record yeah. all that shit so that later they can use it against you. It's the same thing, only instead of, uh, you know, your theremins or whatever it is that... Uh, Thetans getting cleared. Uh, it's just fucking, but yeah, but but and, in uh, theory, violent fucking. Yeah, but catalysts are involved. So catalyst people have been filmed, which yeah. now makes you wonder: is that what was on the hard drive? Yeah, I mean, it's got to be high level people having sex with and or killing prostitutes. Yeah, I, that's exactly what I think is. It's the, this idea of. Of basically, it's, it's human trafficking, it's prostitution, it's people in power doing things that they believe they have the power to do against people that are, are in their eyes, seen as less. Yeah. Um, Very thematically consistent, yeah. Yeah. I love that scene. I love it was one of the standout scenes to me because there is something very enjoyable about seeing Ray go to work on someone, um, and especially when it's a character that I despise. Um, and like I say, we got so we finally got some some more information about the case, which is tying up what he saw earlier on in the episode. So it's not a case of 
of where in previous episodes we would have just got him following Blake, seeing this action, and then we would have had to wait to the next episode for him to tie up that thing. In this episode, we got that full sequence of tied it up. He now knows what that means, um, which I thought was great. I'm going to come in like the, the last episode for me had some serious issues. This week's episode progressed the case at a satisfying pace. I once again really enjoyed the. Really enjoy the acting. I think the acting's great. Still, really think that Colin Farrell and and Vince Vaughn are performing their little hearts out. Special Colin Farrell in this episode. Um, loved that. One thing that has kind of is annoying me now, um, and it's a minor gripe, is that second episode Birdhead, third episode Man in a Mask Burning Car. Fifth, we're now on the fifth episode. No sign of any weird man in a mask. And I know they can't bring it back every episode, but I kind of feel like we're focusing on Casper's killer. That's where the attention is. And I I sometimes feel myself forgetting that Casper's killer could be the man in the mask. You know what I mean? I, I, I kind of feel that that aspect is getting lost a bit. And that to me is one of those... That's maybe the, the part of the series that feels most like the previous season of True Detective, this idea of something kind of cultish, um, something not normal or natural, um, and that's kind of disappeared. So I'm kind of hoping, once again, if you're listening out there bugging this podcast, I'm kind of hoping that aspect comes back into the next episode, because uh, that's something that we've only had a couple of glimpses of them. First episode, second episode, third episode, we're all glimpses on some capacity of the masked man. First episode he was driving, second episode he shot, third episode he burned a car. We've had nothing in the last two episodes and I want that to come back. Out with that, loved it. think Paul's character has actually grown on me. Um, the more I get to find out about his mother, the more I get to find out about his plight where he is just now, the more I actually do now start to feel feelings towards him. Feelings of sympathy, which I didn't have for most of what we've seen before, I just kind of felt like it was a, a non-event. Um, now I'm very much, you know, Paul is starting to become an interest. He's starting to become an interesting character to me. Um, so much so that I kind of, I kind of want to see where that goes now. Um, but yeah, I, a, mar- a marked improvement for me. I really enjoyed just, I really enjoyed the fact that this episode felt a lot more focused on uh, the, the, the solving of the crime than previous ones, but still had the room to deal with, you know, Frank and his partner, Ray and his ex, Annie and her, you know, having to be sat down in a sexual harassment class, Paul and his mother, you know, all these things were covered in the episode adequately with time, but we still had plenty of time to do police investigations and it makes you wonder how they got the balance so wrong in the previous episode with yeah, very little yeah. investigating happened for 40 minutes and then a 20 minute end sequence I don't get that, I don't understand how you can go so far wrong unless you are deliberately trying to stretch what is a 7 story you know 7 episode story over 8 episodes and if that is the case I'd be quite frustrated with that because I'd much rather just give me a 7 episode series apart from an 8 one if that is the case yeah yeah I I I, I agree with you on every point. I think that this was the the show that everyone came to True Detective Season 2 to watch. Yeah. Um, and I thought it was really enjoyable. It was really intriguing. There's plenty of stuff to pick apart. There's great character moments. There's great, you know, beating up Rick Springfield in it. Um, <laughs> all, the, 
all that stuff is uh, a net positive. And uh, yeah, like I said, I'm I'm genuinely really really excited to see what the next episode holds because I you know I I have a feeling and I hope I'm wrong. I have a feeling it's going to be one of those episodes that we're gonna we're gonna gather again as we did, mm-hmm. and we're gonna say you know what that man that that fourth episode was excellent and. <laughs> And this feels like a step down. Yeah. Um, I, I hope I'm totally wrong about that. But I don't know. Th- like, this season has just been so wildly inconsistent. I feel like my safe money is on the next episode being somewhat messy and disappointing as compared to, you know. Like, ep- episode two was really good. Episode four was really good. Maybe it's like Star Trek movies and that every other one <laughs> is really yeah. good. So I'd read a really interesting article actually, which basically put forward the case that True Detectives, True Detective season one being so dense with ideas and so um, you know minimalist with cast but dense with ideas and theories may in some way have caused us to put not only realistic expectations on season two, because that was always going to happen, but for us to expect things to be a lot deeper than they necessarily are, because we are, me and you are looking at this show with a very critical eye because we're podcasting about it, but it would appear that that's what people are doing even out with podcasting they're kind of looking for the subtext constantly where there might not necessarily be subtext um and you know season two might just be a regular season of tv might just be a regular you know murder mystery might not have all that stuff the fact that there's certain things being teased throughout it um is obviously it's 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 tickling our brain to the point of, oh, you know, we're getting the stuff that we want from season one, but maybe, maybe it's maybe it's a, a falsehood. Maybe the, the 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 whole aspect of the second season is to be a lot more straight down the line, and I'm kind of cool with that. But but I, then why what, have conversations about the stains on the ceiling and how nothing is exactly, real and all that stuff? Yeah, ex- exactly. I think it's the, like when I was reading those articles, the well, articles. Sorry, I, I I was like that. I can see. Yeah, I feel I feel since watching True Detective that you know I'm very trained to look for things in True Detective season two. I feel myself looking that every scene must make sense and everything in this room must be something related to and I find myself and you can go crazy doing that um, but I agree with that there, there are specific well I agree with what you said sorry there are specific things that are being said in there which are deliberately kind of nodding and winking at you saying yeah this is the stuff that you liked in the previous season so here's your weird esoteric conversation about stains on the ceiling and you know here's your weird dream sequence with a man singing uh, you know what I mean here's here's a creepy guy walking around with an animal head with a gun you know the, yeah. these things are clear nods to it and I, I, you've got to imagine it's written by the same guy it's obviously something that Nick Pistola was interested in is that kind of bleak nihilism <laughs> um that you know that that's why these things feature through it. All I know is that we have three episodes left now, and I have never been so excited to see 
uh, an episode kick off as well on Monday in the UK uh, because I know that when that episode kicks off, we have Ray and Frank having a conversation. And Bo, that's a conversation I want to see. Yes, I am looking forward to um, sending you texts um, <laughs> as I'm watching the episode, you know, on Sunday night and filling you with such horrible information you about the outcome of that conversation. They, well, they had a cup of tea, they played some dominoes, and they decided to shake hands and all. Oh, it was water under the bridge. OMG, Duncan. Ray just <laughs> killed Frank. You motherfucker. See, if you, I, will, I will hunt you down, Ransdell. I know roughly roughly the, the, the state you live in. States aren't big, are they? No, no. It's, they're practically like houses. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so yeah, I think yeah, I think that for for those that were maybe bummed out by our our, our kind of lack of lack of enjoyment, our enthusiasm maybe enthusiasm in the last episode. Hopefully, we brought you back. Um, once again, we would love to hear what you think of True Detective season two. If you've been watching this and listening along to these episodes, you can leave us some comments on our Facebook page, which is the Legion Podcast um, network page. Uh, we also have a Twitter, which is at Legion Podcast. Is that right? Are Legion Podcasts? Yeah, yeah, it's plural. At Legion Podcast uh, on Twitter, so you can drop us a message there. Do not forget that we will be back next week to discuss episode six. And don't forget as well that myself and Bo have a show exclusively on Legion Podcast Network. It's called Duncan and Bo Come Correct. The most latest episode, the most recent one, dropped um, on today uh, when we're recording that show. Yeah, yesterday, yesterday, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, it was today for me. Uh, So, God, different time zone, Bo, different time zone. Um, I don't recognize your loss. Yeah, <laughs> you will recognise. Um, yeah, so it dropped. Me and Bo uh, discussed two uh, romantic movies. Love. Two romantic we talked movies. about love. We talked about love, and we did two pretty phenomenal movies. Two movies that we we spend quite a bit of time talking about how much we actually enjoyed them. Um, so yeah, check that episode out. It's exclusively on Legion. Podcast Network is Duncan and Bo come correct. Bo, is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? No, just thanks everyone for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. It, it. Strangely, the numbers have borne out the, the fact that people like hearing us talk about True Detective. Uh, um, <laughs> so, thank you very, very much for listening and, and please uh, just shoot us a message at Legion Podcasts. Uh, if there is uh, any wackadoo theories that you might have that you would like us to explore on the show. Mole people, mole people. You know what? What's weird is that I edit the shows pretty pretty tightly most of the time, and uh, mole people is something that you chant on every show I've ever done with you. I just <laughs> leave them in on these. That's my obsession with mole people surfacing. <laughs> yeah, it's just a matter of time, really. Yes, Ezreal. You'll now be the one that's laughing when they when they become our overlords. Right, right. Oh, who's laughing now, Bo? I was waiting for it. Yeah, listen, you do Scottish accents on every podcast we do. Funnily enough, they don't get edited out. <laughs> yeah, well, they're really good. For one thing, <laughs> they're you know they're pleasing to the ear. So you know, yeah, you get you... groundskeeper Willie phoned me last week and said he wants his accent back. Yeah, I. There, there is a point because you were, um, because we released a podcast under the stairs, which is your fantastic show, 
and uh, which I appear on every now and again, so I always appreciate that. Uh, but that and Duncan and Bo uh, come correct dropped on the same day, which I don't think has ever happened before. And one of, the thing I wanted most to do was to find that uh, the the gif of groundskeeper Willie when he's all greased up with bacon fat when he, <laughs> when he goes after uh, the dog in the air ducts and yes, bro. and screams out get ready for Willie. And that was the thing I most wanted, and I had to stop myself because I was like, you know what? This may be too much. This might be officially too much. <laughs> this is this is borderline racist. Yeah, not borderline. That is just racist at that point. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. Well, if you if you like if you like this this kind of the jostling of banter, then you need to check out our show, Duncan and Bo. Come correct. Anyway, uh, Bo, would you like to say goodbye to our listeners, please? Goodbye and thank you, everyone. And I'll speak to you next week. Please take care. Bye. This has been a Legion podcast. Ooh, quickie.